0: This episode contains spoilers for Echo the Dolphin and Echo the Dolphin Tides of Time. Proceed at your own discretion. Welcome to Across the Spectrum, a podcast about special interests. I'm your host, Mark Spark, and today I'm talking to Sparky Dragon.
1: Welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Would you like to tell the listeners what we're talking about today? We're talking about Echo the Dolphin, with a focus on the Genesis games. Yes. I have
0: very little experience with this, so it should be interesting for me. Would you like to tell us a little bit about what Echo is as a game?
1: Okay, so the Echo the Dolphin series is a series that was originally on the Genesis, known as the uh, Mega Drive in everywhere that was not North America. There was also Dreamcast Entry, which is fine, but I'm not as interested in it. Uh, In these games, you play as a bottlenose dolphin, a reasonably realistic depiction of one, except with a few superpowers, And he travels through time and fights space aliens. See, this is very interesting to me, because I think I played
0: a little bit of a game when I was very young. And I Mm -hmm. don't remember any of the aliens or time travel.
1: That comes later in the first game. (laughs) All I remember
0: was being a dolphin in what I think was a platformer.
1: So they're not really platformers. They're more like... As far as like the actual gameplay goes, they're more puzzle-solving maze games. Like Each okay. level is a maze, and you have certain objectives, which is usually boils down to find the thing to unlock the, the door, quote-unquote, at the end of the level, and then pass through that and go on to the next. Okay, so less of a platform or more of a maze thing.
0: Yes. Yeah, did you want to speak more about the mechanics of the game?
1: Yeah. One thing that I really like about the series is it takes really great pains to imagine what it would actually be like to be a dolphin. And to that end, uh, there's two really, well, yeah, two really big things about the gameplay that have that educational aspect. Uh, One is that since Echo is, you know, a mammal, he has to come up and breathe for air and each game has an air meter. And if your air meter runs out, you start losing health really quickly. And then you like, you'll die and have to start the level over. The other one is that dolphins, of course, can use echolocation, which is depicted in the game as you hold down your, they, they call it the sing button, and you sing out, and it echoes back to you, and that's how you pull up your map. Oh.
0: I think I feel like that's quite an interesting mechanic, because most things would just have, you know, you pull up the uh, inventory or something similar for a map.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's really cool how it uses this real aspect of cetacean biology, cetaceans being of course dolphins, as and porpoises. Um, It uses this real aspect of their biology to express that in the game. The basic controls in the Genesis games are A button sings, and you use uh, the sing button to to both talk to other animals, other cetaceans, in your environment, as well as to pull your map up. Uh, B button is charge, which you use to fight enemies, and then C button, if you tap it, you go progressively faster. Okay.
0: So when you started playing, did you feel like the mechanics were like notably different from other games that you'd played?
1: It's been a very long time since I played this. And, um, <laughs> That's fair. Since I first started playing it. Um, Echo the Dolphin is one of the earliest games I can really remember. I was born in 87 and the first Echo game came out in 1992. Mm. So we can do the math on how old I was. So this was sort of your introduction into gaming as far as you can remember? Not quite. Um, I have some vague memories of Super Mario Brothers and I know that we had Sonic the Hedgehog and probably Sonic 2 before this game and I would often play tales to my dad's Sonic and Sonic 2. but Echo was really the first game that got it, that got its claws in me. It was one of the first games that I was really a fan of.
0: Yeah, you mentioned in your notes also something about the high difficulty in the games.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, I, I love Echo to Bits. It's one of my favorite games. It is way too hard for me. Um, I have I have beaten the first game without Save States, which I think is very impressive, but I no longer have the patience for that. Uh, it's really funny. Ed Annunziata, uh, like the head designer and the director of the first two games, he actually has a Twitter. And one time on Twitter, he was sharing like, you know, just facts from um, from his dev time. And he said, well, I was afraid that kids would rent it from Blockbuster and beat it within the weekend. So and I quote, I uh made it hard.
0: <laughs> so that they'd have to have it for longer.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> it's it's hard to like describe why they're hard, but they're. The first game especially, and the first release of the first game, is extremely giving. And the second to last level is called Welcome to the Machine, which, yes, is a Pink Floyd reference. Right. It is a five-minute long auto-scroll level, which would be bad enough. No. But it also takes place underwater, so it scrolls up and down and diagonally. Oh, God. And if you lose to the final boss, you get to go through again.
0: I'm beginning to understand why, as a child, I didn't play all the way through this game.
1: <laughs> uh, this second game is a little bit easier. It actually has like different difficulty levels. There's easy, hard, and then normal, which starts you off on hard. But if you do badly enough, it keeps you to easy, and then if you do well enough, it brings you back to hard. Okay,
0: so it auto adjusts
1: its own levels.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah, um, and you know, this was I think '94 is when Tides of Time came out. Don't quote me. I'm going check.
0: I've been a year old then. Wow. Wow. Yeah, this game series is literally older than me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm an old Genesis. Uh, 94, yeah, it was 94 when Tides of Time came out. What was I saying? Difficulty. Um. Uh. But yeah, I, as far as I know, it was one of the earliest games to be able to do that, at least on the Genesis. Don't quote me on that, though. <laughs>
0: I imagine, like, the air meter mechanic would feed into the difficulty of the game. Oh, yeah. Because you're having to manage your air supply.
1: Yes. The thing about Echo the Dolphin is that the premise sounds really silly. Like, oh, you're a a dolphin and you fight space aliens. That's completely absurd. But when you actually play them, like, a combination of... The high difficulty, the air meter, which gives you a complete dread of drowning, the absolutely stunning music, it all combines to make a really very unsettling and kind of scary series. See, this sounds super interesting to me. This is not something I would have picked up on as a kid.
0: <laughs> so, um, on on the note of um, aliens and time travel, I am very confused as to what the story of Echo is actually about. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All I knew before this was it was about
1: a dolphin. (laughs) (laughs) All right, drop in. Um, (laughs) So the first game opens Your Echo. And you're just hanging around being a dolphin with your pod, right? And you're in this completely harmless first area. There's no enemies. And you can just swim around playing with your dolphin friends. And you can sing to them and they'll talk to you. Um, In the first level, your family says they they give you like gameplay hints, like charge small fish to feed and gain strength. Sing to the shelled ones and they'll heal your wounds. Some of it is like world building stuff. Like one of them notes that echoes. Echo has the con- a constellation of stars on his head as markings. And one of your podmates says the marks on your head look like stars in the sky. Another one asks you, Echo, if we live beneath the waves, why do we why do we breathe air? And then one of them says, Hey, how high in the sky can you fly? So you jump really high, and the storm comes, and it makes the most horrible, like screaming, storming sound that the Genesis can produce. And your family gets sucked up into the storm, and then you're all alone. It switches over from like the very calming and kind of upbeat opening theme to a very, like, I can't even describe it like this very uh, unsettling and moody, uh, scary song. And so you leave and you're trying to find out what happened to your family, right? So you run into like other dolphin pods that have been affected by the storm, and they give you like hints and like gameplay power ups. And Orca tells you that you should talk to the Big Blue, who lives in the far north. Um, Big Blue is very old and very wise. So you go to the far north and you meet Big Blue, who is, of course, a gigantic blue whale. And Big Blue says that he doesn't know where the storm came from either. All that he knows is that these storms happen every 500 years and, like, all life disappears at the eye of the storm. Wow. But then he says, but do not give up hope, young singer. There is one older and wiser than I. Uh, the dolphins and other cetaceans in this game, they, they call themselves singers. That's their, their name for themselves. They have like other different names for things like octopuses or eight arms and whatever. Anyway, the big blue says it's called the asteroid. Uh, we think it is the oldest life form in the sea. We feel great energy of thought from the asteroid, but it will not sing to us. If you can communicate with it, perhaps it will help you. So, okay, you go find the asteroid. The asteroid is located in a deep water zone. You have to dive down really, really deep, and you find it. <laughs> and the asteroid is a gigantic telepathic strand of DNA. Of course it is. Yes.
0: <laughs> so it's just it's all very like ocean y themed stuff up until that point.
1: <laughs> um so the the asteroid is like this this creature. It looks like a giant strand of DNA. It's made up of all these different like globes that circle each other in a double helix. So you sing to the asteroid, and it responds back to you. But it is telepathic, because normally when you sing to another animal, it, like, plays the sound effect of them singing back to you. Like, bottom dolphins have a particular sound, the big blue has a particular sound, orcas have a particular sound. The asteroid has none. So it's not communicating with, with uh, sounds, it's communicating through energy of thought. And the first thing it says, the first thing it says, is, I remember you. What? Of course, it was you. And it was I who sent you. Now it is clear. I'm so intrigued. (laughs) I love Echo. So it goes on to say, yes, it will help Echo, but first Echo needs to help it. Because it's lost one of its globes and it's not at full power right now. If Echo can find its missing globe, then it can empower him so that he can save his pod. So the asteroid says, in order to find my missing globe, you need to to go back in time. You're going to go back 55 million years. And in order to go back in time, you, of course, need to go to the sunken city of Atlantis. Of course. Yes. So, okay, so you go to Atlantis. And in the Atlantean library, um, and by library I mean a collection of these, all through the game you've been seeing these uh, giant crystals, they're called glyphs. You find out that the Astra, that, that, sorry the Atlanteans made the glyphs. They made it so that a dolphin could use them. And they also have information on what caused the storm. The storm is caused by a race of aliens that the Atlanteans called the Vortex. They orbit a star that's in the star system Cassandra, which is located in the constellation Pegasus. And the Atlanteans thought the Vortex had lost the ability to make their own food. So every 500 years, when Earth and Vortex are in alignment, they shoot this beam down and they suck up a bunch of ocean life, and then they live on that for 500 years before they do it again in another 500. This is actually incredible. (laughs)
0: I'm a little bit obsessed with this right now. This is amazing.
1: (laughs) So uh, you find the time machine, you go back in time. 55 million years ago is a completely inaccurate depiction of the time period, but it's fine. (laughs) I I mean, you have Dungolostius and giant seahorses that never existed, and uh, the Pteranodon, which we will get into later. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But anyway, so... You find the asteroid in the past, but the asteroid doesn't recognize you. And it's implied that like dolphins, because dolphins haven't evolved yet, it, it, it can't understand you. Before, before that, though, let me, let me back up. In the past, there's a couple of secret messages you can find. If you jump out of the water and sing on, towards the land, you can hear a response. Something says, we hear song in the ocean. We hear song in the sea. Never have we heard songs in the sea. Stranger, who are you? Could we sing in the sea? could we live in the sea? Perhaps we will try. So Echo accidentally started his his own, not even just his own species, his entire order of Cetacea. Oh, wow. This is such a fantastic story so far. Isn't it? So you find the asteroid, it doesn't recognize you, and it fights you. This is a boss fight. And it fights you by trying to zap you. And you have to charge a single color of globe four times this is while the asteroid is still you know spinning around and shooting at you but when you do this it like causes some kind of temporal something and it kicks you back to the present give the asteroid back its globe it thanks you and it says i'll give you new powers and you need to go back to atlantis and use the time machine and go to the hour of the storm If you follow your pod up through the storm, you'll meet the unseen enemy and you can rescue them. Ah. So you do that, you go back to Atlantis, you go back to the Hour of the Storm, and then you get sucked up into a level called The Tube, which is... It's not unreasonable. It's it's a fairly... For this game, it's a reasonably easy... Level, it the name is weirdly frightening to me though. <laughs> you're being sucked up an alien tube towards their their hive. Um, it's a, that sounds scary. scary, but as far as this game goes, it is reasonably easy compared to the to like some of the other levels. Okay, it's just a uh, up down auto scroller, and then you come into the machine, which is the five minutes of auto scrolling heck. And once you beat the machine, you come to the vortex queen, and you have to fight her, of course, in a boss battle. The battle itself isn't that bad, but what you have to do is a little bit obscure to the point that, I don't know if you would remember this, but back in the day before there was like, you know, the internet and before like um, gameplay guides like uh, on on paper were very common, there were hotlines you could call up to get hints.
0: I did not know that. That's
1: cool. Yeah. Uh, Sega had a helpline and my dad actually, my dad was much better at the game when I was a kid than I was. I would mostly watch him play. (laughs) It was too hard for me. So my dad actually called them up to find out how to beat the Vortex Queen. And what's really funny is that according to him, the hold music was the credits theme from Echo the Dolphin. (laughs) I really love
0: the idea that before they had access to the internet, gamers were still trying to help each other out.
1: Yeah, um, this was an a- this was an actual official Sega thing. There was like a number in the back of the instruction oh. manual that would say, hey, you need a hand or whatever, call this phone number up and we'll help you out a little bit. Oh, I kind of love that. <laughs> so to beat the Vortex Queen, what you have to do is, in order, you have to knock her eyes out, knock her jaw off three or four times, and then charge up through the uh, what's left of her uh, face. It's quite violent for a 16-bit game um but you beat the queen you save your family the you know happy song plays and you go back down to earth and your family is like yay you saved us you're the hero of earth and then right at the end one of your pod mates says echo do you really think the vortex are destroyed (laughs) (laughs) so echo the tides of time picks up right where the first game left off. Turns out, no, the Vortex were not destroyed. Uh, The Queen Vortex wasn't sure what happened, how a dolphin managed to fight its way past the machine and get to her, but she follows Echo back, and she finds the cave where the asteroid lives, and she kills it and takes over its cave and starts building a new machine and a new hive on Earth, which is bad. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Oh, I feel bad. The asteroid's been there for ages.
1: Yeah, So, the second game opens uh, with Echo back in his home bay with his pod. Uh, He starts to travel away from it, and a couple levels after that, there's this gigantic earthquake, and he loses his powers from the asteroid, and you meet, like, this other pod of dolphins, and they explain what happened. One of them says, you know, we felt the death of the asteroid, we are afraid, we feel the presence of the Vortex kind, when will we swim in peace again? And then you meet Traelia. Traelia... Looks like kind of like a bottlenose dolphin, but she's larger and her fins are very long. She has very long pectoral and uh, dorsal fins. And she finds Echo and she says, I am Traelia, and you are my ancestor. I come from the future or one possible future. There is another future, a dark future, the vortex future. And she says that she wants Echo to come with her because his old friend wishes to sing to him. So you travel forward in time to Trelia's time in the good future, and it's gorgeous. It's really pretty level design, um, just really pretty, pretty aesthetics. The dolphins of the future can fly, and they're telepathic, and they're telekinetic, and they can carry you through the air. And they're like, wow, you're the stone. You're an ancient dolphin. That's so cool. And you find, eventually... Well, first, what you find is the new gameplay mechanic for this game called the Metaspheres, where you can transform into different animals. Um, it's it's based on the level. In the good future levels, you transform into a seagull a couple times. But at, once you get to the end of like that kind of arc, you find the asteroid. The asteroid is alive, and it's fine. Huh. The asteroid explains... It, it's been a while since I play, played Tides all the way through. I played the first game more. But basically, it explains that... When Echo used the time machine in Atlantis, he actually split the time stream. It's Now the stone that splits the stream of time in two, and the asteroid says that he needs to go back and find a way to prevent the vortex future. And also, Echo needs to save the asteroid's life. The asteroid shows Echo its memories of the vortex queen killing it. It sees a orca right at the end, and then it sends you back to the present time. Uh, you do a couple, just kind of filler levels, I guess, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I guess it's implied that I was traveling towards where the asteroid lives. So you find where the asteroid used to live, and you fight this Moray Eel boss. And it turns out that the Moray Eel had, like, hidden two of the asteroid's globes in its shell or something. And the globes come out, and they start spinning, and you hear, like, a very weak telepathic voice. Like, this is conveyed through text, but it's a weak telepathic voice. It can only say, like, something like, Echo, find globes! So you go through this whole gigantic level where you're collecting most of the asteroid's globes. because They were scattered all over the place by the Vortex Queen. And as you get more globes, the asteroid starts to get more coherent because it has more power. You do things like you go to the north again and you meet a whole bunch of blue whales and they help you get a uh, couple of the spears. And when you finally get almost all of the spears, the asteroid says something along the lines of, Thank you, Echo. You saved me, but I'm still missing a couple of spears." I don't know where they are, but I think the Vortex might have them. So you leave the asteroid and you start traveling a little bit more and you meet the sorca mother who witnessed the death of the asteroid. And what she also witnessed was two Vortex drones showing up and taking the last two globes and then going off somewhere. And a few levels later, you get captured by a couple of Vortex drones. Yeah, and they initiate the time travel sequence and then suddenly you're in the bad future. You're in the Vortex future. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> it's it's completely devoid of life. Well, not completely. There's like a few like enemies, but it's very mechanical, very very dead. Um, it contrasts really nicely with the good future levels because in the good future levels, a few of the levels you're like going through like these tubes up in the sky, tubes of water, and then the uh, bad future vortex levels have similar, but they're mechanical. So you travel through the vortex future. And you find the missing globes. You have to fight this boss called the Globe Holder, and you get the missing globes and initiates the time travel sequence. You go back, you restore the asteroid, and the asteroid gives Echo back its power, his powers, and then says like he's going to summon you know the singers to fight the vortex so Echo can get through and fight the vortex queen. The next level has you picking your way through like. It starts out like uh, the, the natural environment, and you're picking a your way through, and other dolphins are helping to keep the vortex drones occupied so they don't attack you until you get to the new machine. Now, the new machine is an auto scroller, just like Welcome to the Machine. It is a little bit easier because there are actually checkpoints this time, if I remember right. That sounds very convenient. <laughs> and also, there's I, I don't know if this happens on hard mode, but I know that on easy mode, there's these small like sparkles that you can sing at and they'll show you the correct direction to go and whatnot so you get to the end of the new machine and you fight the vortex queen you win of course but then like this vortex larva swims away from it uh the credits roll at this point but there's still three more levels (laughs) it's an epilogue basically so echo goes back to his home bay has a big celebration with all his family yay but then he starts looking around he goes back to the asteroid and the asteroid tells echo you know you need to destroy the time machine so this doesn't happen again. So you start to make your way to Atlantis, but on the last level, you find the Vortex Queen as a larva again, except she's invincible. If she notices you, she can crush you and kill you instantly. And, oh, you need her to open doors for you. So so you have to follow the Queen through Atlantis, and she uses the time machine ahead of Echo. But for some reason, instead of destroying the time machine, Echo actually uses it. Hmm. And then this is where the ending happens. The game explains that the Vortex Queen went way back in time, but she found creatures she could not rule and so she integrated into life on Earth. The Vortex essentially became arthropods and exopods and so on. And the game ends on the line instead of using the time ma- instead of destroying the time machine, Echo used it and was lost in the tides of time. And we never got a third game. <laughs> that's it. Oh my so that's it. You don't find out what happened to Echo? Nope. Uh, the next game was made without involvement of the original creator, and it's a complete reboot. It's a completely new universe. We've had bits and pieces from Ed and Enziata. Apparently, like, he went back in time to win the Atlanteans lewd for, quote-unquote, specific reason- reasons related to the third game. And it even gives you a secret password at the end that you... They intended you to be able to use it in the third game to like tell the game what you did in Tides of Time and like give you a particular difficulty level or whatever. But yeah, that, that's the end. We never found out what happened. Oh, God, that must be so infuriating. Mm-hmm.
0: I've only known about this for the last half hour and I'm dying to know what <laughs> happened.
1: There have been a couple of attempts to bring back the series. Like I, I keep bringing up Ed and his yada, um, or Ed he did a Kickstarter a while ago for, like, a spiritual spiritual successor, kind of in the vein of, like, Bloodstained, Symphony of the Night, or Mighty Number no. 9. It was called... I don't remember what it was called. Big Blue, I think? Something like that. Anyway, that failed, and there was recently some kind of settlement between him and Sega that we don't know the details of, uh, but it was regarding Echo, so... Oh maybe he'll be able to do it. I it would be nice. Yeah, I I now really want to know what happens next too.
0: <laughs> oh dear. But no, this sounds like a really interesting game. It really is. I I really love the idea of the music being used to indicate when people are talking and then having no music for a telepathic characters.
1: Yeah, um it's not really music, it's more of a sound effect like um like when Echo sings out it's like this and then a uh, dolphin singing back is like that echo that Orca makes a different kind of sound. Stuff like that. Yeah, that's just... It's a really interesting sound design thing. I like it. Yeah. The Genesis games have some of the best Genesis chiptune out there. They really do. I think if I had to choose, I can't decide between uh, Echo and Tides or another Genesis game, Alicia Dragoon. Alicia Dragoon has some very good music, uh, but Echo
0: Echo is definitely high up there. I feel like I'm gonna have to like look up where I can play Echo now and listen to
1: the music. Uh, That is kind of the nice thing about the Genesis games is that they're available on pretty much everything. I know that there's a Steam release. I believe they're available in most of the three big consoles, virtual consoles, but don't quote me. It's been a while since I used those. Or, uh, you can, if you can find hard copies, they work fine. Um, Just don't feel bad about playing them with save states. They're hard. I get it.
0: That's good, because I'm not very good at games.
1: <laughs> I love the stories, I'm just not good at playing. <laughs> That's fair. Um, there's also a fair amount of like long plays that and let's plays that you can let, look up as well if you're more interested in the story. Okay. Did you want to speak
0: any more on the music of the series?
1: Yes. Um, one uh, interesting little bit of trivia is uh, when Trelia, the future dolphin, uh, first takes you to her time, it's a level called Trelia's Bay, and it's a very distinctive, very beautiful piece that seems almost entirely lifted from the Phantasm theme. (laughs) (laughs) Also, the Pteranodon's artwork is lifted from a prehistoric book, but it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) The Genesis games also had uh, remakes. The Tides of Time had a remake on the Sega CD, which was called the Mega CD outside of North America. And then the first game had a remake on the on the pc both remakes uh were made back in the 90s and they um they souped up the graphics they add whole new soundtracks and while i do generally prefer the genesis soundtracks just because that's what i grew up with the cd soundtracks are gorgeous and beautiful and i love them in particular my favorite track from both of the cd uh, games is spin to feather which sounds like flight in song form to me and they also made a image song. Have, are you familiar with the concept of image songs? Um, I don't think I know much about that. So an image song is basically a song that is about a character. It's pretty common in Japanese media, especially um, anime and Japanese video games. Like Sonic the Hedgehog has a lot of them. Like City Escape is basically an image. no city escapes a level song uh it doesn't matter sonic's theme song that's an image song because it's sonic's theme song and it's about him and whatnot okay so echo had his own image song it's called saint gabriel's mask vocal remix it's based on a uh, level track from i want to say the cd version of tides and it's it's a really great song um and i think it's applicable to not just echo but also to like well, a lot of other like stories, Any, it, really any story where it's about some character trying to find someone who's lost. So, yeah, I would recommend looking that up. As far as favorite tracks from the rest of the series, my favorite from the Genesis games is Convergence, which is from Tides. Mostly because it's a remix of several different songs from the entire game. And unfortunately, the two places that you can hear it playing, it's really easy. To, they're very short. Uh-huh. So unless you hang around, you probably won't be able to hear the whole thing. But it's it's fine. Uh, there's sound tests and there's, of course, YouTube and downloading the tracks from places.
0: Yes, it's good we have these things now. <laughs> yes. It's it's interesting to hear about a game that seems like it was so has so much depth in like storytelling and artwork at a time like quite early in video gaming
1: history. I think. Yeah, um, let's see. The Genesis was the sixteen-bit Sega console. So let's see. We had Atari. The Atari consoles were very early. Then we had the NES. And then we had the Super NES. The Genesis was contemporaneous with the Super NES. So that's about when they were. There were a few other games that had like this kind of depth of story at that time. But most of them were RPGs. Uh And the thing about Echo that I always found quite interesting is it was actually developed by a Hungarian company. And if I'm not mistaken, it was one of the very first, at least certainly one of the very first Sega games to come from an ex-Soviet country. So that's neat.
0: I did not know that. (laughs) So do you have any bits about the Echo games that's maybe less well-known by most people?
1: Well... So Ed mentioned on his Twitter a while ago that the, uh, the animation that plays in the background of message um, screens in Echo the Dolphin and, and, and Tides, uh, the messages from other wildlife and from the asteroid and whatnot are text on a really beautiful flowing background that like really, you know, as far as a genesis goes, it really mimics well a view of like being underwater. It's very flowing and smooth. Apparently this was an accident, like somebody, (laughs) somebody like, like put a one where there should have been a zero or something and they accidentally made this, but they were like, you know, this is really pretty, we're keeping it.
0: That's, that's very cool.
1: (laughs) And another one is a couple of passwords that are very useful, question mark, in the first game. (laughs) So passwords in the first Echo game are eight letters long. And if you put in all ins, that takes you to Welcome to the Machine directly. <laughs> Just the level everyone wants to skip to. Oh, yes. Um, however, if you put in Trialias, like a plural of the uh, of Echo's Descendant, it takes you to the last fight, the fight with the Vortex Queen. Ah. That is actually its own separate level. And it does have like passwords that access it. But because, again, of a mistake... You only get that password at the end of the credits (laughs) in the original release, which kind of feels like a uh, up yours, you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) We made you go through the scrolling level and now we'll give you the password that you could have skipped in.
1: Yeah, it's... it's It's not. It was unintentional. As far as I know, it was a mistake, because I believe it's different in later (laughs) releases, but still. Uh, Those passwords themselves were just kind of accidents of the uh, password system. Like, uh, how familiar are you with uh, the original Metroid and its password system? Uh, I don't know much about it. Okay. So there's a very famous password for the original Metroid called Justin Bailey. And it allows you to play as Samus without her power suit with all of her power-ups. This was the password that people knew back when Metroid was new. But as it turns out, that was an accident. That wasn't a plan. It just happened to be something that had this desirable effect. The actual password that was, like, intentional... Uh, <laughs> the way that the um, the game's password system makes it look like it's spelled out is uh, NARPIS sword. It was apparently supposed to be in a password, but there's a space in there uh, because of how the password entry system works. <laughs> uh, that one was intentionally planted. I bring it up because... Uh, eight ends and trillias and echo. As far as the game is concerned, they're no more interesting and special than like G X B Q R T T T or whatever that that it usually spits out. They're just interesting human-readable passwords that have these undesired and desired effects one might say
0: (laughs) it is interesting how many of these things crop out out of complete accidents though yeah which sounds about right for coding (laughs) as far as i'm aware
1: there is another famous metroid password but i will not mention it because this is a family friendly podcast
0: (laughs) (laughs) i guess people can just google that one if they're curious it
1: starts with engage ridley um metroid fans will know exactly (laughs) what i'm talking about and if you don't you can look it up (laughs) um
0: (laughs) you gotta love gaming history so you did mention something about a pteranodon
1: yeah okay so the pteranodon i did mention from a prehistoric book quite a lot of the art in the historic levels was lifted from this one particular book that I, I can't remember off the top of my head but when i was writing echo fanfic i joined this thing on live journal called fanfic 100 where the idea was write 100 fanfics about a particular series based on this list of, list of prompts they gave so one of the prompts was lovers which one i'm asexual and demiromantic so I don't really write a whole lot of ship fic anyway, and two, as you might imagine, the dolphin is not big on romance <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, it didn't sound like there was much room for a romantic subplot in the game. No. (laughs) So I wrote a story. Um, Have you ever heard of the book Raptor
1: Red? Oh, I think I've heard the title. I don't actually know. Uh, Briefly, Raptor Red is written kind of like a nature documentary that allows some insight into the animal's thoughts. And it's about a year in the life of a Utah raptor. Okay. So I wrote for the prompt lovers... A story from the perspective of the pteranodon in the style of Raptor Red, and I posited that the song that summons the pr- pteranodon is a meeting call. This <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. This led to a like very long standing joke with me that I I totally ship Echo and the pteranodon as a crack ship. I made I think two fan vids about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, I wrote quite a few stories for Fanfic 100. Calling the Pteranodon is, without a doubt, the silliest one. My favorite that I wrote for that um, was called Captivity. That was for the prompt, Months, and it was basically a retelling of the first game, but in a way that patched what I saw as a plot hole. It's been a while since I reread that story, but I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was fun. That's right. It was to patch over like Echo wouldn't have had his powers when he was first sucked up into the machine. So it's about how Echo has to essentially spend a month protecting the other cetaceans in the uh, hive until he gets his powers back when his self from the past gets his powers from the asteroid. That was it.
0: Oh, that does sound dramatic because that's like a month where the aliens are feeding on the sea creatures, isn't it? Yes.
1: Essentially the way that Echo protects everybody is he makes sure nobody goes near, like, the places that, like, suck you up uh, to bring you towards the uh, the aliens. And he fights off, he helps fight off uh, any aliens that, like, come in person to get them. And it's, like, got cut-ins to what his past self is doing to, like, pace it. Like, okay, here he is, like, talking to the, to the Big Blue. Here he's talking to the asteroid. Here he's gone to Atlantis. Blah, 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 blah.
0: That does sound like a really interesting story.
1: Yeah. I also did a fair number of uh, fan videos for Echo the Dolphin. Some of it was just based on the CD soundtrack from the series, uh, because again, the Genesis is what I grew up on. I never had a Sega CD when I was a kid. So a lot of the music from the CD versions just gave me cutscene-like images. And when Tides of Time was remade for the CD, they also made these, for the time, very uh, detailed and graphically impressive cutscenes that explain the story of the very first game. So I used those to make my fan vids. (laughs) <laughs> my favorite though my favorite fan bit i made of echo um have you ever heard of the band rhapsody or rhapsody of fire i
0: have heard of them i haven't listened to their music
1: uh, they're a symphonic metal band they write extremely cheesy fantasy albums in bless them a very thick italian accent and I made an Echo fan vid to their songs. It, it's a pair of songs that, like, one leaves right into the other without a, uh, without a break, so they make basically one long song. Uh, the songs "Luke's Triumphans and "Dawn of Victory." The video is called "The Singer's Dawn of Victory," and it's it, it's Echo the Dolphin with symphonic power metal. Which, if you knew nothing about Echo the Dolphin, sounds utterly ridiculous, and it kind of is, but <laughs> it works. The actual games are about an interplanetary war, you know. Yeah, no. I I can see how it might gel. Yes. As far as other games in the series, just to touch on them briefly, after Tides came out, let me check when it was released. 1995. So in 1995, um, another game came out on the Genesis called Echo Jr., Echo Junior was part of the Sega Club series. The Sega Club games were games made for very young children. Like, you know, they had the equivalent of Mario Paint in this uh, series. Uh, it was called Wacky World's Creativity Studio. They had legally, we're not allowed to call it My Little Pony in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Crystal's Ponytail is is quite a good game if you're five. Um, and I liked it. I was well five, seven, whatever. Anyway, so it was. <laughs> it almost kind of feels like they made it as an apology to like all the very small kids who got like the first two games and were like this is terrifying and hard <laughs> <laughs> um echo jr um it's it's a very cute easygoing game where you're just a happy little dolphin or you could play as an orca or a different happy little dolphin and you're going on a happy little dolphin adventure to go see the big blue there's no there's no enemies like nothing hurts you uh there's a parents menu where you can access interesting facts about dolphins that i'm sure are very outdated by now but it's fine and then several years later In 2000, there was a new game in the series that I mentioned, uh, the one that was the reboot. Uh, That's Echo the Dolphin Defender of the Future. It originally came out on the Dreamcast, and it's a fine game. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time with it. I think I've eaten it like twice. It does have a lot of the same broad themes. Like, you're still a dolphin, you're still fighting space aliens, there's still time travel. But one thing I liked about the the original games is that humans really were not at all important. I mean, they built Atlantis, but whatever, they're all dead <laughs> or used time machine. <laughs> In Defender of the Future, again, you don't really talk to any humans, but the background of it is that humans and dolphins made this wonderful society together, and then they got attacked by aliens, and Echo has to stop them. And, you know, I recommend it. It, it, it It's a fun game. It just It's not nearly as weird as the first two games. So it, it, it lost a little of the atmosphere. Yeah, and also the last uh, set of levels are total garbage, and you may quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it will be in the podcast, so I shall. <laughs> that said, though, I, I like I say, I, I'm a lot nicer to that game than I used to be when it first came out. Just because, you know, we had been waiting since 92 to find what happened to Echo. And then we get this and I was like, well, where's the Vortex? What happened to Echo? This I don't like this. But it does have a lot of really beautiful set pieces. It has less of a good story, but there's some interesting characters in it, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I get you.
1: Yeah. I would say Man's Nightmare and Dolphin's Nightmare, Uh, two of the uh, level sets, are... I can't decide which of those two are my favorite. Dolphin's Nightmare is definitely a lot more pretty. And Dolphin's Nightmare also does have the Hanging Waters levels, which are essentially one gigantic love letter to the original game. Games. so yeah maybe Dolphin's Nightmare is my favorite level set.
0: <laughs> I would love to hear from the people who started out with Echo Jr. and then found out they were old
1: again. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh dear. Wow. You um, have to be incredibly jarring. Well <laughs> I mean on the other hand it would be kind of like starting out with like Mario teaches typing and then you like go straight to Kaizo Mario I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. It is
0: is it nice when some games are just allowed to be super weird?
1: Yes, like one thing that I owe a lot to the Echo series for is defining a lot of my aesthetic preferences especially in games like even today I really love just those really weird offbeat uh, usually indie games that just have strange premises and they're not ashamed of it. I do like me a pretty hard game sometimes, although I have less patience and time for it these days. Um, I did really enjoy The Aquatic Adventures of the Last Human. Uh, That was a fairly recent Steam release. Apparently, it didn't have any, like, it wasn't pulling any influence from the Echo games, but it plays a lot like an Echo game meets, like, Metroid and Shadow of the Colossus, which was great. (laughs) Because those are two of my other favorite games. (laughs) It's like they made a game for you. It's also extremely difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool to me how the first Echo game starts out as a fairly natural depiction of a dolphin, right? <laughs> you know, you're a, you're a happy little dolphin and you're playing with your friends and oh no, your friends are gone. I would better go look for them. And you're talking to other wildlife and you're fighting, you know, sharks and jellyfish. The crystals are a bit weird, <laughs> but it's fine. And it just very slowly ramps up its weirder elements like, "Oh, I'm talking to a psychic strand of DNA and oh, I'm going back in time aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second game, because it's a sequel that picks up right where the first game left off, just says, you know this already. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> it has been so confusing for anyone who didn't play the first game. Probably. I don't know. I I would have to ask someone who started all with the second game. I I I don't have any real sense for how well it introduces its concepts because again, it is a sequel and just it just kind of drops you in. It. It's like yeah, you know, that's us have fun. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I did. Back in the day, I was the person who originally started the Wikipedia and TV Tropes articles for Echo the Dolphin. Yeah, you must have been in that quite early. Yeah. It seems to be a tradition with me that whenever I go to a new platform, if there's nothing Echo-related, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll start it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a blog on Tumblr. Yes, I'm still on Tumblr somehow. I have a blog there that's based on Echo. The name is not work-appropriate, um, but... <laughs> it's f yeah echo but the f is spelled out well i think that's family safe enough fish yeah that's fine okay. um but that that's that one it hasn't been updated a while but occasionally i'll find something echo related and toss it on there i have pillow fort community oh gosh pillow fort
0: yeah i can count on pillow fort but i haven't been on there forever <laughs>
1: It's, it's just, it's called Echo the Dolphin, spelled out with underscores, so Echo underscore the underscore Dolphin.
0: Oh, what a get.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've got a lot of my old Echo fanfake on Archive of Our Own, as well as a lot of my old fanvids. I've even got uh, some. It, it, it was also traditional when I was making fan vids that I tried to make any fandom that I had fanvids for, I would try to make at least one based on Echo music, because again, the, the music is just incredible. I did a Zelda Twilight Princess one to Saint Gabriel's Mask vocal remix. The other one I remember is a Spirit Stelling of the Cimarron one to Tides of Time Drift, which is a fan remix of a song from one of the CD games.
0: It's nice how Echo the Dolphin has just like stayed with so much of your work.
1: (laughs) I love it. It's. It's what it it is, my all time favorite game. I might not have the patience for some of it, its like harder nonsense anymore, but I truly love the series, and I think I probably always will. I should pl- I should play through the first two games again now that uh, my break is coming up between summer term and uh, fall term at school. Return to your origins. That or I'll keep playing Smash Brothers and meaning Ridley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Echo is Echo for assist trophy. Come on, Sega, get on it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I had a really great time learning about Echo.
1: I had a really great time dumping about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we're here for. Exactly.
0: Yeah, so did you want to talk about any current projects you have going on? Not necessarily Echo related, but just our creative works and what have you.
1: Sure. All right. So you can find me on Archive of Our Own. I'm Sparky underscore Lurk Dragon. Pretty much anytime you see Sparky Lurk Dragon, that's me, except for one weird uh, incident of identity theft I had on DeviantArt. I'm. I don't know. <laughs> Long story, but on Deviant Art, I'm Sparky Lurk Dragon. Anyone else you see isn't me. But anyway, I am on Archive of Our Own, Sparky Lurk Dragon, and I'm almost finished uploading a Shadow of the Colossus and Ecofick called Enlightenments. It is for mature audiences. There are a lot of content warnings. Please read them carefully and heed them. But if you're into Shadow of the Colossus and Eco, it's about how Shadow of the Colossus eventually led to Eco. I'm exploring a lot of my headcanons about Wander and Dormine. It's focused on their friendship. If that sounds like it's something that would be up your alley and you're over 18 and after reading through the list of content warnings as long as my arm you're not put off, don't check it out. I would love to hear comments on it. But yeah, um, that's the big one right now. I'm also doing bad things happen bingo and band together bingo again on my AO3. Just mind my content warnings. They're there for a reason.
0: And if anyone wants to find your work, I'll link down to your accounts in the show notes. Excellent. So, final question of the podcast, and this does not have to be Echo-related, but uh, are there any fictional characters that you particularly relate to as an autistic person?
1: I have two. The first is Inharmonia from Pokemon Black and White, because I basically was in when I was his age. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The other one is uh, Samus Aran from the Metroid series. What's funny about Samus is that I... Accidentally head her as a asexual autistic demi romantic before I knew what demi romanticism or autism was. So that's fun.
0: <laughs> I love when that happens. Yes, I had so many ace headcanons before I knew what ace meant and that I was ace.
1: And I'll I'll, I'll say this as as kind of a parting word: I am non binary, and it would be nice to see more human non binary characters in fiction. But I got to tell you, the fact that I'm the same gender as the asteroid rocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's such a mood
0: it's like yes i would like human non-binary representation but
1: also i really like this thing yes the asteroid and dormy. um i'm the same gender as those two and that's awesome <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you for joining us today listeners if you enjoyed hearing from Sparky, or if you're interested in any of the projects that they mentioned, you can find links to their social medias and their creative work in the show notes. Please be mindful of age ratings and content warnings when consuming content. Thank you again to our contributing artists. Our podcast art was created by Eric Monk-Steele, who you can find on Instagram and Tumblr, and the show's music was created by Maki Yamazaki, whose music you can purchase on Bandcamp and who you can support on Patreon. Those links are also in the show notes. Are you autistic? Do you have special interests? Do you feel like broadcasting them to the world at large? Consider participating in the show. You can find information on how to participate at autisticpod.tumblr.com or in the Google Drive folder linked in the show notes. That's all for now, listeners. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing David about the lore of Destiny 2. Until then, stay safe, stay you, and keep sharing.